gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Hello and welcome to the Talent Podcast, podcast brought to you by The Wheel. I am your host, Adam, and with me as always, my co-host, Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? I am doing just fantastic. Cold and windy in Buffalo, but I'm doing good. Cold and windy in Chicago right now, too. There you go. We are the Talent Alone Podcast, the podcast hosted by the two founders and uh, two of the three employees of the Talent Alone website. Nigel Cornhole, un- oh, unable right. to make the Town Alone podcast so far into his tenure. Uh, but one day, maybe if we figure out where he is currently at. I think he's back it. home in uh, Saskatchewan, working to get those pro wrestling scoops. Seems like we might have some uh, Nigel Cornhole takes on uh, TAPWP in the near future. You just might. So, Mike, next week, Buffalo, Sunday Night Football game, always big news. Uh, we'll be at a concert during that. Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah, so you're not going to know what happens. Buffalo might lose by 45. Who knows? I mean, I'll get into it later. <laughs> Before we, we get started here on some uh, some Week 5 NFL talk and then some other un- more un- unimportant... Jesus. Before we get started here on some Week 5 NFL talk and some unimportant things that Mike wants to talk about, uh, going into the season, I would say the biggest battle you and I had was that you were part of the Bryce Young crowd and I was part of the Anthony Richardson crowd. Mm-hmm. I have been brutal, some may say, to Bryce Young on this podcast, and that trend will, in fact, continue today. But mm-hmm. worth pointing out, Mike, what was my biggest concern with Bryce Young coming out of college? Uh, you felt he was too small. Right. And too small means that you are more injury prone by being hit by 300-pound defensive linemen. Now where this is going. Worth noting, Bryce Young has played a lot more snaps than Anthony Richardson. Yeah. As a fantasy owner, I'm getting a little frustrated. And as a human being, I'm getting a little worried. There is something that you and I have pushed back on a few times where people mm-hmm. claim that it's because of Anthony Richardson's play style that leads to him playing less. And the numbers show that getting sacked is actually more dangerous than being tackled on an open field run. And he got a concussion a couple of weeks ago and you go, oh, concussions are random. You can't ascribe an injury-prone tag to someone who gets a concussion because that's just a random way of hitting the field, especially in Richardson's case. But once again, Richardson pulled out early in the game this week and is questionable next week. He has been pulled out of three of his five NFL games so far with injury. Starting to get a little worried about it. Yeah, I, I didn't see the injury, the play it happened on, did you? He booted out, took off, and got tackled on it. And landed on his shoulder awkwardly and like immediately rolled over, grabbing at his shoulder. Not great. Not great. Meanwhile, Minshew Mania is just taking over Indianapolis. Hooray. <laughs> Who would you rather have, Gardner Minshew or Andy Dalton? Gardner Minshew. Okay. So you would rather be the Colts than the Panthers? Yeah. I mean, Minshew has two wins now. Who do you think ends the season? with more snaps, Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson? Bryce Young. I mean, his, his first injury wasn't, wasn't like really bad. And I think they mostly just kept him out because they were like, hey, we're a dog shit team. This guy's supposed to be the franchise quarterback going forward. Let's not rush him back in. Um, but yeah, despite them having a god-awful offensive line, he hasn't gotten really, really hurt yet. 
I am worried about Richardson, especially like since, like you said, it's not like he like with the first injury. It's not like it was he did something crazy, tried to hurdle four defenders and got slammed on his head. It was just he went down and head snapped back and hit the turf. Yeah. You know, so a little, little bit of bad luck. If I'm the Colts at this point, like I know that we'll talk about it more, but that division's kind of wide open, in my opinion. Maybe not wide open, but a team could definitely. I think. Yeah, wide open might be a stretch, but I think everybody has a shot except for um Am I forgetting one of the AFC South? No one can name the AFC South in one try. It's a boring ass division usually. Let's see. Let's hear the ones you can name. I want to see if I can if I can fill in the blank or if I also won't be able to name it. Jags, Texans, Titans, and Colts. Colts, that's it. We're literally talking about them right now. (laughs) It's impossible. The AFC South. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. It's the Mandela effect. Every single person who tries to name the AFC South will forget a team. Yeah, it's funny because they actually like it has all the young teams. Like the Oilers moved to Tennessee, which was like late nineties. Uh, I don't know when the fu- the Texans became the Texans. Had to be what two thousand at some point. Yeah, and then yeah, like two thousand and two. We- I think it's around the time the Lightning came in the league. Yeah, and then you have the Jags, who I believe started like in either 99 or 2000. And then you have the Colts. so Who left Baltimore in the middle of the night. So I'm sure, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I don't know if this is one of your headlines, but we can segue into this. I do want to talk about the AFC South a little bit. Is this one of your headlines? Um, yeah, it, well, it ties into a lot of like the Colts talk I was expecting to get into. All right, well, since we're here, I do just want to bring this up. Mike, have you looked at the AFC South odds right now? I have not. Enlighten me. Okay. Well, let's see if you can if you can guess. Who do you think is currently the favorite? The Jaguars. Okay. You are correct. What about second place? Houston. Nope. Do you not te- Indianapolis? Nope. Tennessee. That's dumb. Tennessee that plus 380. So dumb. So dumb. Indianapolis plus 410, Houston plus 650. Whatever, Vegas. Get your shit together. And betters. You guys also get your shit together. That's that's ridiculous. It's erroneous. All right. On that note, we do a weekly segment here on our Monday morning podcast that we are recording at uh, 3.41 Central Time. These are our Monday morning headlines. What are the big news scoops coming out? of week five of NFL action. Mike, kick or receive? Um, kick. All right. So my first Monday morning headline, Super Bail. Oh, Super Bail is what that said. I thought it said yeah, Super, it's super, super Bay 1. So it's the Super Bowl, <laughs> but it's the Bay Area. Yeah. Super Bail. You never get my headlines. You write them in code, not my fault. <laughs> I write the headlines that I, I tell you. Yeah, but they're like they're like inside jokes that you didn't like smarten me up on. So the uh, the road to the Super Bowl goes through the 49ers, and I mean on in either division or either conference. They trounced Dallas, who I really think might be the second best team in the NFC. No. And they dismantled them on Sunday night football. 42 to 10. Mike, let me just list you off some of the Pro Bowl caliber players 
on the 49ers. Trent Williams, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Willie Sneed, Fred Warner, Kalinor Hufunga. I had to pause to remember how to say his first name. Traverius Ward, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave. And that's just off the top of my head. That wasn't like going through and looking at anything. McCaffrey, once again, had a ridiculous performance. Now is on pace for 27 touchdowns. Probably has the best case for a non-quarterback to win MVP in a while. Now, to add to that, here's what happened on Sunday Night Football. 42-10 win over the Dallas Cowboys. Brock Purdy, 252 for four touchdowns. Still sitting with the highest EPA per play in the league. By the way, look this up. Of teams that roster three quarterbacks, San Francisco is paying the second, second lowest among that roster. Who do you think pays the least amount of money at quarterback for teams that roster three quarterbacks? Texans? Patriots. Patriots. Wow. I, so I was that goes to show you the difference between how good the 49ers are and how bad it can be if you're paying nothing at quarterback. Yeah, my strategy was go to teams with rookie QBs that are on cheap deals, but that was, wow, that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, because Texans ha- or I, 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 New England has Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, and who knows who's third, but they can't be worse than Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, to be honest with you. I believe it's Malik Cunningham. I know he was on their practice squad. That is a hell of a pull there, Mike. Mm-hmm. The line for this game closed at San Francisco minus three. Uh, San Francisco narrowly covered it, winning by 32 points. Over-under was 45. The Niners nearly hit the over by themselves, scoring 42 total points. George Kittle, three touchdowns. Shout out, Friday pod. I said that George Kittle, my bold take was that George Kittle was going to have two plus touchdowns, and he had three. 49ers defense had four turnovers, four sacks, ended three drives with a sack. And here are the first four Cowboys drives against this 49ers defense. One yard, three and out. One yard, three and out. Fumble, two yard, three and out. This team is fucking ridiculous, man. Yeah, I... um. I sent you a screenshot last night. I was going to say it was a humble brag, but no, it was just a, a total brag. <laughs> because like, this was the game we were all looking forward to. And obviously it was going to tell us a lot about the power structure in the NFC. And then like, I'm watching the end of the 1 o'clock games going into 4 o'clock. And I'm like, I think the Cowboys are frauds. I, I'm not buying into it. And so I play still same game parlay of... Uh, Went ahead and alt spread the Niners up to minus five and a half. Should have went farther in hindsight. Um, Could have gone all the way up to thirty-two and a half. Yeah, as good. Yeah, as good as the Cowboys' defense is, I figured they would get even if they played phenomenal, they would get wore down. So I took um, Niners over in points, which was at twenty-four and a half, and then Dak, Pollard, and Ceedee Lamb. Basically, there are three. You know, stop. There are three like top offensive players, at least by depth chart consideration. I took all of them under in their yards. It hit. I just, I almost, I also had my thumb. I originally clicked the over on the game, but then I was like, once again, I was like, ah, you know, that defense in, um, in Dallas is really good. So I do feel confident that the Niners can cover that five and a half, but maybe it's still like a low scoring game all around. So I, I didn't go there, but if you look back at it, Dallas just shit kicked the, two teams from New Jersey around to open the season. They lose that 
the game in Arizona to a, you know, an admittedly now we see frisky Cardinals team um, that will at least challenge teams somewhat uh, every week, 28-16. And then they bounce back and shit kick the Patriots, who we saw what happened this week. Like, that's just a total shit show over there. So they don't have any good wins. And I am going to go ahead and say it. Me and you disagree on this. But Dax is just fine. Against elite defenses, he struggles, and I don't trust him to go out there and win you a game when it's on the line. It is hard for me to argue any other direction this week because he had such a terrible game. But I do still think, and I will still defend Dak Prescott. I just think that he, in general, is a good quarterback. Not going to do it this week. So I'm not going to push back to you, on you too hard, especially after you oracled your way into a same-game parlay that hit. And worth noting that you zigged when other people were zagging. As it got closer to game time, the over started to creep up by about half a point. And at the same time, you were betting everyone unders. Yeah, I was just sitting watching football and all of a sudden I heard this loud noise. It was my fraud alert. I was like, oh, fraud alert going off. There's something out there in the ether I got to take care of. Now, this is also karma because I have a bad QB situation in our Dynasty League. And so despite me constantly being like, eh, Dax is just whatever, I traded for him from you. And then he went on to get negative points and cost me my fantasy game this week. So, (laughs) Yeah, they brought in Cooper Rush pretty early into the fourth quarter in the game yeah i was surprised they wouldn't give lance a little play but maybe they were like oh he's made a glass let's not get him crushed by the niners backup defensive yeah. line do we know if he's even cleared to play right now i mean he had pads on he was on the sideline at Did one point they cut, on? okay yeah they cut to him at one point um when it was clear that the cowboys were just going to roll out the second unit and he was throwing and i was like oh or you get a little trey lance but then cooper rush came running down the tunnel as the fans came to life Remember when Cooper Rush won like three or four games last season? Yeah. He was undefeated for a minute there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this is I, I now put in a moratorium on talent alone, doubting Brock Purdy. Yeah. I will not, I will not quite buy, buy in. I won't get Purdy pilled quite yet. But from this moment on, until at least Brock Purdy loses a game, there is an official talent alone moratorium on Brock Purdy shit talk. 252 for four touchdowns in a game that he stopped playing in like the third quarter. He has, uh, when they cut him on the sidelines after his, di- his night was done, he's got some big dick energy about him. I gotta say. Yeah. That's why they call him Big Cock Brock. Like he's got a little like Joe Cool, just casually the like Campbell whatever. Or the player. Uh, the player. I don't know if he smokes uh camels. That w- that would make him even bigger dick energy if he was on the sidelines just having a cigarette. But he just he d- dominated this game. He continues to be like ridiculously efficient in everything he does. I, I can't explain it. I didn't want to believe in it. I was like, no way, Mister Irrelevant is this guy. At least while he has a ridiculous team around him, he is the guy. He's the man. He's the man. He's the man so far. We just have to, at this point on, believe in Big Cock Brock, and we'll see what happens. He's part of the Big Cock group. Yeah. Big Cock Brock. I love it. We'll, we'll add him to the shout-outs at the end of the show until he loses Big Cock status. Yeah. All right, Mike. 
go ahead and give me your first hashtag Monday morning headline. So I'm looking at the Colts in a few areas. Let's start off with the big news. The Jonathan Taylor extension, three years, 42 million. I believe like 16 is guaranteed. I heard. How many snaps did he have this week, Mike? He only had six snaps. Only six carries for 18 yards, though. He only averaged three yards a carry, but he also hasn't played football in a minute. Looks like he was on the field for 10 total snaps, mm-hmm. which uh, puts him marginally above Trey Sermon, who I just learned is on the Colts. Yeah, so as expected, he was on a snap count with the little football he played, no preseason, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I got to give props to Zach Moss. He had like a kind of mundane game the previous week, 18 for 70, averaged 3.9 a carry. And then Taylor News came out and he was like, you can pry this starting running back position from my cold, dead fucking fingers, JT. 23 for 165, 7.2 a carry and two touchdowns. Dude went off in our redraft league. I had him in there. Unfortunately, in our dynasty league, which is actually for money, I put him on the bench. So Rough. Rough rough so my big question is like it's a little weird why now the jt extension when team was playing solid and moss was handling the running duties pretty well why now uh technical difficulties had to take a short break there we're back we talked about jonathan taylor talking about zach moss do you think so there's this term that a podcast i listen to used to use but they haven't used it in a long time so it's our term now it's like public rights or public domain. It's now in the public domain, and I'm going to go ahead and put in a trademark on it. It's our term now. No one else mm-hmm. can use it without paying us. But the term's fantasy entropy, and it's this idea where a player who has a really low usage, a really low start percent, scores a bunch of points, right? Mm-hmm. It's fantasy points that gave no one any benefit. Do you think Zach Moss led the NFL in fantasy entropy this week? It's either him or George Kittle. But I feel like if you have George Kittle, you're still playing George Kittle, even though he's had a bad season. Right, because of name value. So yeah. the, the idea there would be people saw JT's back, a lot of people benched him, and so he scored all these points that didn't help anybody. Got it. Yeah. I think that is very possible. To go back to the, the why now question, so if the NFL didn't hate trades and have dumb things like dead cap, etc., I would have a little conspiracy theory that what they're doing is they're locking down the extension to help facilitate a trade to another team. Like, hey, he's locked in for three years. Now you don't have to worry about him possibly leaving next year. Now do you want to trade for him? Plus, because the contract's reasonable. I I think 16 guaranteed over three years isn't bad for a running back the caliber of Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and you're right. Like, if this was basketball, this is a side-in trade Mm -hmm. contract, which is something that we see pretty often in basketball, but it doesn't really happen in football. So I would be on your side if this was ever a thing that happened in football besides this. It is very weird. But they can't because it would be dumb for the Colts to sign an extension and then eat dead cap. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It'd make more sense to trade him and then that team signs him. So I, I guess my answer is no. I don't see them moving Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. If they were going to move Jonathan Taylor, they would have done it before signing the contract. Although... The other fucking thing about the NFL is that other teams will just sit and wait for someone to be a free agent because there's less incentive to sign someone as a free agent. Or I'm sorry, there's less incentive to trade away an expiring asset in football than in other sports because you get the supplemental draft picks. What are they called? 
that they are called supplemental draft picks. I don't think I think they're called something else. But anyways, you get those extra draft picks when someone from your team gets signed away for a lot of money. Yeah. So to go back to the game for a moment, obviously the Colts dispatch of the Ryan Tannehill led Titans. They approved a, improved to three and two. The Titans fall to two and three. I gotta say, I mentioned earlier, we have a log jam in the AFC South: Jags, Colts, three and two; Texans, Stroud, Crowd, and the Titans, two and three. I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but it, would you consider this division wide open? The only team I really don't like is surprisingly the team that was number two in the odds right now is the Titans. Yeah, it's such a weird division, right? Because if you just don't pay attention to anything that's happened this season, going into the season, this would have basically been the rank- rankings you would have put things in, right? You'd have been like, number one, Trevor Lawrence and the Jags, who played in the playoffs last year. Number two, the Titans, who are a legacy team. They have a proven coach. They have a proven quarterback, and they have some infrastructure, including they signed DeAndre Hopkins. Number three, the Colts, who have some good pieces and brought in a athletic and talented rookie quarterback and had the stink. And then number four would be the Texans, who just had nothing Drafted two players high, but their number one receiver was Nico Collins, who hadn't broken out yet. And they had, I mean, could you have named a player on the Texans defense that isn't Will Anderson prior to this year? No. Yeah. So this is the order that you would have had them in if you didn't pay any attention. But it's just something about the way this division has gone so far that it feels wrong. The Jags have underperformed. Tannehill's looked terrible. And both rookie quarterbacks have looked awesome. So it feels wrong, even though it's the order you would have put it in. It feels like the odds are sticking with it's five weeks in. Things will start to sort itself out and it will end up more where we originally saw it prior to the season. But Stroud crowd, baby, they're going to be fighting till the end. Minshew mania. They're going to be fighting to the end. Not as in on that one. Not as in on that one. I am so down on Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. I think I have been since like going into the season. And even like in week one, I was just done with this. Not done with this team. I just never believed in them. Yeah. And Derrick Henry, we're, we're seeing, you know, the gradual decline. It's not going to be as, as drastic or, or sharp as I might have predicted year over year over year over year. But five games into the season, he's averaging 3.8 yards a carry. And nine receptions for 101 yards, but I, I don't think that suddenly we're going to see a, a massive uptick in his receiving work. So it might be just kind of a fall-off year for Derrick Henry, and then if that happens, you're relying on aging Ryan Tannehill and Tajay Spears to keep this team playoff competitive, and I, I don't know how much I believe in that. Which, before I punt the ball back to you for our next he- headline, I do want to shout out Two players. One, you just said uh, Tajay Spears at the University of Tulane and was the most valuable part of their offense last season. Also got the biggest workload. You know, had the one 19-yard touchdown. He made the most of his snaps. Only had seven carries, but averaged 4.9 on him. So as the Derrick Henry time era comes to an end, I really like him. And also, big shout out to DeAndre Hopkins. Making teams look foolish for not giving him the money he wanted. Eight receptions, 140 yards. Big Holy game. shit, really? Big game from Nuke, yeah. 140 yards? I totally missed that happen. Even without the steroids, this dude has it. No. 
wait until we get another cycle of testing on him before you definitively say that. You think he got a random test this morning? <laughs> All right, Mike. My other headline, staying on theme with our Taylor Swift theme for the show today. The End of the Eras Tour. Just hoping for some kind of response from you. Is this the end of Bill Belichick? The end? As far as his coaching career? No. Uh, the end of him seeing as a genius who could fix all and keep poor rosters competitive? Yeah, that's, that's probably done. Second week in a row, Mac Jones gets benched. Last week, the first week in a row that he got benched, it was the biggest loss of Bill Belichick's career. 37 points. Biggest loss of his career. And he followed that up with a nice, cool 34-0 shutout, which was the biggest shutout of Bill Belichick's career. So I have two questions for you there, Michael. Well, we'll go three. Number one, if the Patriots end up in the first or second spot in the draft. Do they take a quarterback? First or second spot, absolutely. I mean, you're looking at Caleb Williams, Drake May. You can't pass that up. I said in our top 10 mock draft last week that I think even if they are later in the first round, even if it's a slight overdraft based on where a QB was in the overall big board, there's the increased value of it's the most important position in the league. So I think they'll jump on one of the tier two quarterbacks in that situation. You can't keep going. If they want in any way to get more competitive in a very tough division in the AFC East, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said very tough. Two top teams that are Super Bowl caliber in the AFC East, they are going to have to get an upgrade at quarterback because you can't even keep some of your other uh, strengths. They can't thrive when you're falling behind so quickly, so many points, and then at the end of the day, Ramondre has eight attempts for 24 yards, which you can look at and be like, yeah, well, he wasn't efficient, three yards a carry. Eight attempts, you can argue, maybe a few more attempts, and he gets going. He starts finding the seams. The offensive line starts to wear down that defense. I mean, this is all hypothetical. Uh, We can do what-ifs and sliding doors until the cows come home, but their strength was their running last season and the season before that. And they can't even try to lean on their strength because their defense is struggling and their passing attack is just so god-awful that there is no... Early in the games, they don't fear it. So stack the box and shut down the run early. Carry, get the lead. Run away with it. I'm going to push back on you there, Mike. Okay. I hate the whole keep giving him carries and he's going to find the seams to start running. Uh, I'm not really a big believer in momentum, especially when you break it down to the micro scale of a single running back. I don't think that the Patriots were going to open up running lanes on this team. I think that the Saints had a better defense. I think Ramondre has been off to a bad start this season, and I think that the Patriots' defense or offensive line is not up to par with what you want if you're Bill Belichick. I mean, different strokes for different folks. Oh my god. You keep believing in your voodoo over there, buddy. So, my next question for you. Does Bill Belichick get fired? Just worth noting here. Famously, Robert Kraft wanted to re-sign Tom Brady, 
give him a hero deal for his last few seasons. And Bill Belichick pushed back on that. And that's why Brady ended up in Tampa. Since then, the Patriots have been one of the worst teams by win percentage. I think they are currently sitting at 10th worst win percentage since Brady left. I have been saying that there's no way they would fire Bill Belichick. The man is the franchise. Him and Tom Brady are the reason for the franchise's success and them dominating the the aughts and most of the t- uh, 2010s. <clears throat> I think it's a possibility now. And I'm actually hoping for it because I love chaos and just the the craziness of all these teams looking at coaches that may be doing a solid job firing them because Bill Belichick is now on the market would be amazing. The talk around the franchise is that they don't want to lose Gerard Mayo. Apparently, they really like him as a coach there. So I could see a world in which they go to Gerard Mayo and say, hey, we've mutually agreed to part ways with Bill Belichick, and we want you to step in as interim coach for the final three weeks of the season. You think there's any, like, DeMarco Murray's early success in Houston could add to that? I mean, we see another former defensive player for the franchise come in at do you mean D'Amico Ryan? D'Amico Ryan. Who did I say? Did Marco Murray? DeMarco, Murray. DeMarco Murray, uh, Murray uh, had much more success a little further north than Houston. That's true. Uh, yeah, I meant D'Amico Ryan. I wonder if his early on success could play into the Jared Bayo idea, if they like him so much. And my other question for you, if Brady gets Brady, if Belichick gets fired and wants to stay in the NFL to beat Don Shula's record, what team do you see him coaching next season? Oh man, that that's tough. Uh, I think Eberflus could be on the hot seat. Yes, even though they just finally got their first win of the season, even and even with Fields playing better, I think. I'm trying to think of teams where their coach is really. If McVay randomly decides I had an amazing career and I'm still young, I'm going to retire for a while. I could see that. How much would you love it if Ron Rivera? Um, maybe you would love it. Maybe you wouldn't depending on your opinion on Bill Belichick as a coach in 2023 going forward. But commanders say bye to Ron, River or a rowboat Ron. They don't want to give it over to B enemy. New, new owner takes a big swing, drops a big contract at the feet of Bill Belichick. Yeah, I don't know why Belichick would want that job. Mm-mm. Let me give you the, the odds as they sit. Most recent update for first coach fired. Worth noting from this that these odds were before the Bears win on Thursday night. But we have Matt Eberflus, first place at plus 115. Brandon Staley, second place at plus 350. Josh McDaniels, third place, plus 750. Mike Vrabel, fourth place, plus 1,000. Mike Tomlin, fifth place at plus 1,000. Ron Rivera, sixth place, plus 1,200. And Kevin O'Connell, bringing up the rear, plus 1,800. I think I had Vrabel in my list of when we did like a head coaches firings draft. We each picked five. I I know I had him. He was one of my picks. There is the aspect there of, I think the Titans kind of knew this would be a down year. So that could save Vrabel's job no matter how the the season turns out. I want to happen. I would love it. I'm an anti-Staley guy. Get one of the greatest coaches of all time in there and finally get Justin Herbert in the playoffs, making deep runs. Like, let's go. You got a defense you're trying to fix? Bill Belichick, that's what he's known for is defense. Like, let's go. Let's get that happening. I think that would definitely be the most fun 
And I think that that would be the fastest route to get Belichick to his Don Shula record. I think mm-hmm. it is so much more fun if Josh McDaniels gets fired and Belichick takes over for him. I think that is fucking hilarious. I think what's more hilarious is if they just sign Belichick and they're like, McDaniels, you can leave or you can step down and be OC, but those are your only options. Or if they sign Belichick to like special teams coordinator and they're like, we're not firing Josh McDaniels. Don't worry. It's like the Vancouver Canucks last season when they had Rick Tockett signed in behind what's his face and just sat on it for like 14 weeks. Yeah. Boudreau. And they sat on it for like 14 weeks before they fired him. That'd be pretty fucking funny. The uh, the Raiders lose their like first preseason game, and ownership comes out like, yeah, we just decided to make a move. Really played poor in that first preseason game. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> All right, Mike, you want to go ahead and uh, give me your next headline here, or your next two, because those are my two headlines. Gladly. The next one here is London games are absolute, totally a hundred percent bullshit and shouldn't be a Do you thing. Mind, you mind if I just go walk around for a little bit, get my steps in for the day, and you could just rant about London games? I got something to say. Obviously, everybody saw it. The Jags beat the Bills 25-20. Oh, the Jags got a big win. Jags didn't get shit, okay? Going into the game, Trey White, Christian Benford, Greg Rousseau, three important starters, out. Early on in the game, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones go out. Your Half of our defense that you were facing was the backup defense. Congratulations on putting up 11 points in the first half and then not scoring again until 7.50 in the fourth. And then they got that next touchdown when ETN finally started going after our defense, which once again was half non-starters, got exhausted, and he was able to find some room and get get going. Also in a game where they absolutely dominated time of possession, congratulations on putting up your 25 points. And, oh, you were so dominant that the Bills were an onside kick away at getting the ball back and winning that game. People want to talk shit about Josh Allen, knock him down in the MVP odds. Okay, he finished with 359 yards and three total touchdowns. Also, the refs. The refs. Can we talk about the refs? Like, I don't need, they just came out and were like, we're going to be the star of this game. We are getting the most TV time. 11 penalties on the Bills for 109, eight on the Jaguars for 56. It was all around, it was a shit game to watch, filled with injuries, uh, low scoring for big stretches, and a ridiculous amount of penalties. There's, when your team loses, there's two ways you can look at it. One way is how I usually approach Bills losses to teams like Kansas City and Cincinnati. Last season, those were good teams. And it's like, oh, you know, we got beat by a really good team. This is what they did well and how they attacked our weaknesses. This loss is such bullshit for Buffalo, and I'm not buying into the Jags. I still think they are the most vanilla average meh team in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. I think he's the kind of quarterback where he was built in the lab and he does everything scouts look for very well, but doesn't have that Mahomes gene that's going to go out and do something big to win you a game. I don't believe in the Jags. I don't even think they win their division. I give them no props for this one. Also, the Bills had to fly halfway to London, and I played off the whole... I didn't play it off. I downplayed a little bit the acclimating to the time change. Now that we lost, I'm 100% behind it. I think it's (laughs) bullshit, especially... And here's two things. One, you're going to give the Jags a week in London to go see Big Ben, whatever, and be well-rested. And on top of that, you're going to take a home game away from Buffalo? Like, all around, total horseshit. Yeah, what bothered you more there, that Buffalo has one less home game or that the Jags had two weeks in London? The Jags, two weeks in London thing. It's an unfair advantage. I agree with that. Totally unfair. If they're going to do two London games, they need to go back home and then come back later in the season. Like, split them out, do one early, one late. 
there's no reason why they should get two weeks to hang around in London. There was just so many asterisks on this Jags win, and I can sound like a bitter Homer fan. I am a bitter Homer fan. I'll admit it. I'm not going to lie it, uh, lie about it. But And then we come out of this game, and I have to deal with the unfortunate news. Milano's done for the year. Daquan Jones is going to be out indefinitely. And say what you want about Daquan Jones, 32. He was having a career resurgence because he went to a defense that McDermott was, instead of just having him be mainly a run stopper because he's a big interior defensive lineman. They were like, oh, this dude can also get pressure. Like, go after the quarterback, Daquan, and that's what he was doing really well. Also, despite the injuries up front for a lot of this game, we totally ate up that offensive line. AJ Espinosa had himself a fucking day, and we finished with five sacks. So, Yeah, I mean, Espinosa had a great day, but it is starting to look like that defense is getting borderline too injured to compete for a Super Bowl, I guess. And that's what you kind of have to be worried about as a Bills fan at this point. But all that aside, not what we're talking about right now, all of that aside, I am on your side that it was a completely unfair advantage. I was banging the drum that this week's best bet was just Jags money line. I mean, it's such a big thing to overcome. I didn't bet it because I have personal gambling gambling rules about that. But walking into that game, it was such an unfair advantage for the team that spent two weeks in London that I can't believe the NFL was just like, yep, let's do that. And now the Jags are going to come back and they have a game next week. They don't even have a bye week. So now they are set up for a complete schedule loss too on the other end. Good. That's karma. They should get one. Also... You act like it's the Jags' fault. No, this had a lot of advantages that were unfair that I, I do not agree with. Jags play Indianapolis. And that'll be a big game in determining that AFC South that I believe is very much up for grabs. Here's an idea. I'm going to throw this out here. The Bills are in a Super Bowl window still. And according, the Denver, to, according to me and smart okay. people who talk about football, and the Denver Broncos are terrible. Their defense is terrible. They should be preparing to try to do a super fast rebuild or figure out how to get rid of Russell Wilson, etc. I'm just saying. Brandon Bean calls up Denver and they're like, two first. Give me Patrick Sertan. You know what's so funny? I was, my dad and my uncle are both lifelong Denver Broncos fans. Mm-hmm. And I was texting them. And my uncle who is maybe a little too in the weeds on this kind of thing. I said, if the Bears texted the Broncos and offered two first, would you say yes? He's like, nope. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. But I absolutely think that someone should come by and drop a Godfather offer for PS2. Like, the Broncos are not on a timeline to utilize him best, and his stock will never be higher than it is right now. I think if the Bills were to come by and drop a Godfather offer on PS2, that's just a huge benefit to both teams. And it's something they need. Yeah, and the Bills are, like I said, in that window where, similar to the Rams, yeah, we're going to give up a lot of future assets, but we got to try to capitalize now and get the ring. So go for it. For the Broncos, though, if I told you, like, Garrett Bowles, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Russell Wilson, Patrick Sertan, I'll say those are all their best assets that could be for sale. If all those guys are for sale, who's getting the most trade value? I'm going to say Sertan. It's got to be Sertan. How do you not move him at that point? I mean, 
they gave up so much to get Peyton and Russ in the building, and it just isn't going to work. The team around them isn't good enough. Russ isn't good enough anymore, despite how well he's playing the season. He's not the guy that's going to carry a bad team. He's not like Mahomes or Allen, who's going to pick up a subpar aspect on a team and make it better. So it's time to just start stripping the copper wiring out of the building. Sell Sertan, sell Sertan to Buffalo. Sell Russ and Bulls to the New York Jets. Sell both those wide receivers to Miami because they keep picking up wide receivers for some reason. Just get rid of everything that's not nailed down. And the last thing I'll say on this topic is the Sertan deal is not just good now for us to try to compete and get to the Super Bowl. It would be good going forward because I love Trey White, but big knee injury and now an Achilles on top of that, that's going to be tough to overcome and come back and play at an elite level. They've had, if, it, if nothing else, the Bills have had some of the worst injury luck of NFL teams, and they don't have that reputation for it, but they really do have terrible injury luck. Year after year. Like, last year was the same thing. I'm not sure who our strength and conditioning coach is, but you're on the hot seat, bud. I think it's Paul Walter Hauser. I was looking through, I was looking through NFL team coaching staffs, and I'm pretty sure that's right. It's as possible. All right, so do you want me to just go to my next headline? Yes, sir. Next headline is, uh, is a question. The Baltimore Ravens, are they good? Because I, I can't figure it out anymore. They lose to the Steelers, who are 1-3. Lamar has another... Some people are going after him like he was dog shit. He, he had a fine day. He just didn't make some of those big highlight plays you'd expect from him. They get blanked for 14 nothing in the fourth quarter. Joey fucking Porter, dude. Me and you both like that draft pick for Pittsburgh, if I remember correctly. And he has himself a game 91.3 best defensive grade and best coverage grade on that awesome Steelers defense and now if you're the Ravens you're like looking at that Bengals Cardinals game which I'm I'm gonna go ahead and do it I, I admit when I do this I'm a flip-flopper I said the Bengals were dead in the water and then they came out Chase goes nuclear Burrow looked like Burrow again and now I think the AFC North sands the Browns could also be kind of open Listen, you and I have very publicly talked against the Browns, but the Browns might have the best defense in the NFL. And if Deshaun, no means no Watson, gets going at any point, that team can actually be pretty scary. So I think the AFC, I think the AFC North is open to all but the Steelers. But same thing. True. But Steelers have a great defense. And Pickett did the one thing he should do every game and be like, Fuck it, Pickens is out there somewhere. I'm just going to yeah, feed he him. he really did. He really was. It was the throw the ball up and Pickens will get it game. Yeah, he targeted him 10 times. Pickett brought down six of them for 130 in the game-winning tutty. Like... So as it stands, devotees of the Team Talent Alone article, formerly the My Guys article, will know that what, the only quarterback on there who has multiple seasons in the NFL already is Lamar Jackson. I am a gigantic Lamar Jackson apologist. I will make every excuse in the book for Lamar Jackson. So allow me to do that. Lamar Jackson had two touchdown passes in a row that his own receivers dropped catchable balls on. If they make those, suddenly they're, at the end of the game, only down three points with the ball. But Mark Andrews, who's supposed to be his most consummate receiver, volleyball spikes the ball into the 
fourth row of the crowd. And then Rashad Bateman, former first-round pick, drops the ball on the very next play, and they have to settle for a field goal. Beyond that, while Lamar didn't have the greatest game on paper, it once again was Lamar Jackson had one bad fumble. And that's really what turned the tide for them. And that was because he got tackled from behind. So allow me to once again be the Lamar Jackson apologist and say, this game wasn't as bad for Lamar Jackson as people are saying. Even people that watch the game, they're like, Lamar Jackson was terrible. He was all right. He did what, he did what Lamar Jackson does. And his receivers and his supporting cast came up short in times where they needed to, to generate points. Can't blame him too much for that. I do not disagree. I'm right next to you. I got the house next door on the Lamar Jackson Apologist Island. I I wrote down in my notes here, between injuries and everything else, he's he's the offense. What do you want him to do? He has no weapons. I think OBJ is going to be back next week finally. But even then, you have an older OBJ with one knee to go with. Nelson Aguilar and Rashad Bateman, not a great situation. Oh, say Flowers as well. But then, but how much are you willing, like, how much pressure and accountability or how much weight can you put on a rookie, Q, uh, pardon me, a rookie wide receiver to be that dude? They have no running game as far as their running backs go. I mean, I don't know what J.K. Robbins did in a former life to have the, the like, terrible luck that he has with injuries, but he's out again. It comes down to Justice Hill and Gus Edwards. Lamar, I, I'm pretty sure, was once again their leading rusher as far as yards go. It, it's just uh, not... Gus Edwards was by three yards. Oh, okay. It's just not a great situation. And I think that's why people are confusing this with, oh, bad game from Russ, because he didn't Russ. all of a sudden... Pardon me, I'm so used to shit-talking Russell Wilson. A bad game from Lamar is because he didn't have like that highlight play where he jukes a defender, goes on a 30-yard run for a touchdown. Like He didn't have that. So people are like, oh, bad, bad game for... For Lamar, when really, I mean, look at the numbers, watch the game. He, he was fine. Yeah, and he had a really low A dot, which is something that, that people always like to point out. And a lot of yards after catch, especially for Zay Flowers. But I think that, you know, the rumors of Lamar's death are, are greatly overblown. I agree. But just answer the question, Adam. Are the Ravens good? Like, as a, as a whole? Yeah. Yes, they're not Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> so much trepidation. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of trepidation. I, it's one of those I don't want to be on the wrong side of. They're not Super Bowl contenders. Mm-hmm. But they are probably still going to win the division. I still like them to win the division. We'll have to Ooh, keep there's, That's a good one. Let's see what the odds are on that. Bengals big game. They could have flipped. Bengals still the longest odds in the division. Wow. Ravens plus 110, Browns plus 280, Steelers plus 460, Bengals plus 470. Might need to pop a few bucks on that Bengals to win the AFC North. Might have to. It's, all teams have two or three losses. It's very up for grabs. Ready to talk uh, Team Town alone? Well, first let's talk uh, NHL extensions. Since oh, I, I forgot we had that. Over that. <laughs> All right, we can it'd be a quick little convo. So we had news drop today. Rasmus Dahlin, eight by eighty-eight, which is eleven million AAV. The Jets, I don't know what they're doing anymore. But instead of trading Hellebuck and Shifley for 
good returns to help try to rebuild this team. They re-signed both of them to seven-year contracts with an $8.5 million average annual value. Yeah, totally get the Rasmus Dahlin move. That guy mm-hmm. is borderline top-tier defenseman. Don't get the Halibut and Shifley deals. Don't really, don't really understand how the NHL cap situation works. I guess maybe the idea there is sign them to the long-term deals, and now you can trade them and retain and get better assets for it. But otherwise, this, this Jets team really needs a reality check. They're the Broncos of hockey. Right. They won't face the situation that they're not a, a cup-contending team. Every, I think it's like three years going now where they keep hanging on to this idea. I said in my Outsider Scoops uh, NHL trade target article that on one of these players, I predicted that Hellebuck, they signed to a big extension, and then as the season goes to shit, they're now trying to trade him. And we're halfway there, everybody, to that possibly happening. On the Dahlien front... Didn't you nail one of those other ones? You nailed some prediction on that already. Carlson to the Penguins, as I was writing it, I nailed. Yeah. (laughs) And then I had to be like, all right, uh, just so you know, I wrote this before it happened, everybody. Dahlien makes sense. That puts him next season in 2024 when he kicks in he'll be making 11 million which puts him behind eric carlson who will be making the most money still as a defenseman with 11.5 and right there with drew dowdy uh surprisingly another older defenseman still making buku bucks but watch the games you can see it look at the numbers fourth and expected goals among defensemen just along with this isn't like an important stat and it can very often is a fake stat that people rely on for to defend bad players, but fourth in overall time on ice among defensemen. But I think when you look at that and then point out he still has the fourth best expected goals despite the very large sample size, I see that as a good thing. Did have the second most penalty minutes among defensemen. However, that part of his game that he's developed, this gritty part of his game, is instigating people because despite having all those minutes in the box himself, he still had a 42 minute. Uh, differential from drawing penalties and then you look at it he's seventh in the league on on ice goal differential he's a phenomenal defenseman this season he'll have i think a very good partner in connor clifton who will be the yin to his yang and work very well sky's the limit for darlene i think he's could get into cal mccarr territory if he's in the level right below him right now so it, it, it makes total sense and now the sabers just have to figure out how much they're going to pay owen power because i think it could be another 9.5 to 11 million dollar AAV for him and that would probably make them one of the most expensive defensive co- defensive units in the league. Worth noting, a phrase you're going to hear a lot of the times on our soon to debut Basky podcast covering the NHL and NBA as the season goes on. Something that you are going to hear me say a lot. Sign your players now cuz the cap starts going up again next year. Don't wait for the cap to go up to sign your good players. Sign your good players when you could say, well, this is the cap, and this is how the cap's been, so we can only give you this much. Because once that cap starts raising again, players are going to start asking for more money. Yeah, that's what a lot of people said about this past season, the Sabres locking down basically their top two centers in Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins to long deals. Do it early when you can get a good value on them before if they keep playing great, plus the cap rises, they're, what you're going to have to pay them is going to increase. Once again, starting Saturday, the 22nd. Does that sound right to you? Sure. 15 plus 7. Mm-hmm. 
starting Saturday, the 22nd. Be sure to tune in. It'll be on this feed, the Basky Podcast. Every week coming to you with an hour and a half covering basketball and hockey. Yeah, it's got a little Basky preview right there for everybody. Got a little Basky preview. And we'll have our NBA over-unders coming out later this week, also on this feed. All right, Mike, you ready to talk Team Talent Alone? Team Talent Alone against QB Talent Alone this week. Let's talk about how it turned out. I went back earlier today and rewatched this game, so I have it very fresh in my mind. So just to give you the little preview, the Falcons win the game 21-19 after a last-second field, field goal by Young Win Koo, which we got the great Chick-fil-A stadium. Everyone going coo, and the announcer saying, that's not booze you're hearing, folks. They're saying coo. I was cackling at that. <laughs> game closed. Falcons minus two, which pushed. Excellent job, Vegas. Over-under closed at 42, which hit the under. So depending on where you bought in, the Falcons currently are seeing at 1-3-1 and one against the spread. Quick recap for you here. Desmond Ritter had a great game. Still occasionally locking onto his first target, but probably the best game of his career and very promising if you stand Des. Probably his best play, or the, the best play the Falcons managed to pull off, it wasn't his best play, was a little flip pass he had that Bijan Robinson caught one-handed against his side and then transferred around behind his back into his other hand and then ran into a touchdown. Which Bijan continues to make something out of nothing. He had a bunch of runs that started with contact in the backfield and somehow managed to make it positive one or two yards. Jesse Bates and Chris Lindstrom, another big game. Those are probably the two people on this team in the all-pro conversation. Houston's defense jumping at hard counts a lot, which was to a huge benefit to the Falcons. And the Falcons ended up controlling the game very well on the defensive side of things, which slowed down Damian Pierce. It slowed down C.J. Stroud, who still had a solid day, but not as good as we're used to seeing out of the, the young man. And ended up with the Falcons winning a nice kind of grinded out 21-19. to Now that's what I call football kind of game. Mike, did you have any thoughts before we get into our weekly segments on the Falcons? Yeah, just props to Ritter for having a fuck the haters kind of game after looking just terrible in the bullshit London game against the Jags. Uh, 329, two touchdowns. One thing he did that I really liked was he finally just started targeting his weapons. Ten targets to Pitts. He caught seven. for He had five first downs. London caught six of his nine targets. Also had five first downs. Like Those are the guys when it's you need to pick up a first that you're going to your top tier weapons. And I was very glad to see Ritter finally start doing that. Also had a bunch of targets in Matt Collins, but that, did you see that Drake London, like the 50, 50 ball he went up for and just strong armed mm -hmm. it out of the, yeah, just great, great game from the weapons. This is the kind of game that if you're a Falcons fan, as talent alone is this season, you're hoping to see more of Arthur Smith call a game this way. Very low rush total for an Arthur Smith game, but just, had Desmond Ritter picking apart the secondary all day. Very, very positive feeling for Desmond Ritter. All right, Mike, you ready to talk PFF grades? Yes. So I have the top five players graded down here for you to once again guess. Uh, as a reminder to people listening, it's their overall side of the ball grade. So offensive players are all off offensive grade. Defense, you get it. Also, there's a couple players, like defensive players, who would have been in the list, but they played nine total snaps, so they were removed. I appreciate you doing that. I meant to text you earlier and ask you to make sure you had a minimum snap count. I'm glad mm -hmm. you did it yourself. Yes. So, not that hard to understand. I'm trying to guess the top five graded PFF players. 
without having looked at the PFF grades. I have eight players listed here. I will give you my top five, and then I'll have you list off the rest, and we'll see if I had any of them in my top eight. Okay. All right. Desmond Ritter. Yes, number two this week, 87.9 offensive grade. So my second guess here, this one is just, uh, I've watched a lot of Falcons this season. I don't necessarily know how great his tape was. I haven't been able to watch the All-22 yet, because that doesn't go up until Tuesday. Jesse Bates. No, surprisingly was not on the list this week. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a shot in the dark one. All right, Kyle Pitts. Yes, number three, 75.2. Chris Lindstrom. No. Mm. Was anyone on the offensive line on there? Because I have Jake Matthews at seven. No, no offensive line. I'll give you that. Okay. Janu Smith. He would have been sixth. Okay. I have him sixth on my list. I, I, <laughs> I panicked and skipped number five. Number five, I have Calais Campbell. No, I didn't. He was uh, up here last week. Didn't make it this week. Oh, man, bad week for me. I was a lot better last week. All right, Mike, let's hear the top five then. So number one was D. Alford. Fuck, I had, him at, I had him at nine initially, and I deleted it because he, he was behind on a couple of coverages, and I, I overthought it. Yeah, the slot corner had a 90.7 defensive grade. You got number two and number three with Ritter and Pitts. Number four, Drake London, 74.4 grade. And number five, Mac Hollins, 70.3 grade. Who would have guessed? I, I thought about that, too, because they both had really good games. But you know what? My top five that I gave you, just to read it off again here, Desmond Ritter, Jesse Bates, Kyle Pitts, Chris Lindstrom, Calais Campbell, only got two out of five this week. That is a 40%. Not great. How happy are you if you're a Falcons fan, considering what we thought of this team being so defensive? Like, And still, I think the defense is the most important side of the ball for them, or the best performing. Four players, offense with a top five grade, and once again, your weapons, Pitts and London were two of them. Yeah, I think that that's got to be the big takeaway is Desmond is great game. And also, number two, getting production out of Pitts and London, finally. It's like someone finally got in Arthur Smith's ear and told him, hey, bud, you can throw to your best players. Mm -hmm. So I have one more question for you before we move on. All right. We got a triple threat going in the NFC South right now. Bucks three and one. I believe they were on a bye this week. Falcons three and two and the Saints three and two. Who do you like to win this division? God, this Saints team is they're they're so phony. Can't get her yeah. <laughs> it's just such a weird it's the the Derek Carr roller coaster ride. I don't necessarily believe in Dennis Allen as a head coach. And then the other team, it's like, are we really going to trust Baker for a whole season? Yeah. There's there's a lot of this division right now that feels like it's about to have the rug pulled out from under it. So I got to go Atlanta just by... I mean, Atlanta's the best coach of the three. I think that mm-hmm. Arthur Smith is the best coach of those three. Maybe not coach, but the best offensive game planner of those three. Probably the second best skill position group, if you want to include Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in there. So then it kind of comes down to, like, who has the best defense and is Desmond Ritter actively going to destroy this team from the inside out? Yeah, the, it's close. Same, it's close. Like you said, they could be a bit of a fraud. Their three wins are uh, Titans, Panthers, and then they just bushwhacked the Steelers this week, obviously. 18-17 to 17 loss in that game they blew in Green Bay, and then 26-9 against the Bucks. Not a good look. Not a good look. 
Yeah, and I would love to hand wave away the 34 to 0 win over New England, but beating any team in the NFL in a shutout by five touchdowns is impressive. Yeah. One other note I want to point out, and then we'll hit the three stars, talk next week, and move on to our awards for the week. Mm-hmm. Pretty good snap share. Bijan, 61%. Tyler Algiers, 44%. That is about what I think is the sweet spot for this team. You're not overworking Bijan. Algiers was running between the tackles a lot, didn't have a ton of production, but Bijan was still fresh late in the game. And I think that that's, that's kind of the snap count you want to hit with these guys. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a better script than what they ran this week. Just having all that passing work over the middle for Kyle Pitts and Janu Smith. Really good Janu. game. Really good game. That's, I, they keep saying that on the broadcast. I thought it was Janu. Yeah, me too. I thought it was Janu, and it's also Bijan, not Bijan. Yeah, because there's two N's in it, right? So that would be John New instead of John U would be J O N U. Well, it's Janu. Same thing. Janu. I don't know, uh, man. Oh, you're right. No, <laughs> Janu would, once again, so it would be J O N U, depending on how you pronounce it, or J A N U. That's wrong. They're wrong. It's a last name. You can't. <laughs> say true. like here's what the letters are here's how you pronounce it look at your last name yeah i guess phonetics don't really matter when it comes to last names my bad so quick three stars of the week third star i'm giving to Bijan. he had a low total but it's worth noting so 58 scrimmage yards so that's pass plus rush worth noting 40 of his 46 rushing yards came after contact 40 of his 46 yards came after contact and he still had like every week he had that that highlight play. Yeah, had the one-handed catch for the touchdown and had another one-handed catch for a first down on a critical drive near the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Second star goes to pass blocking. The whole offensive line did a great job. Always got a preface. Sacks are a quarterback stat more than their offensive line sat, stat, but gave up zero sacks. Uh, Desmond Ritter, super fast time to throw. So that's also in there. But just watching the game, they held up really well in the pass blocking the run like they Houston was getting through in some run blocking situations, but in pass blocking, they did a phenomenal job. Do you have a thought there, Mike, were you looking something up? I was looking at their, their pass blocking grades and yeah, a lot of players in the green. And then first star got to give it career day for Desmond Ritter. 28 of 37, 239, one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, zero interceptions, zero sacks, two 42 time to throw just getting the ball out fast and producing first star of the day game ball goes to Desmond Ritter next week we got Falcons or commanders at Falcons in Atlanta line open Falcons minus three and a half and now sits at Falcons minus two and a half and the over under is 42 points Mm. don't want to give out any picks tune in to our Friday show for a same game parlay Any final Falcons notes there? Are you ready to move on to our weekly awards? Ready to move on. All right. Awards time. Mike, since you, did you kick or receive earlier? I kicked earlier. Kicked. So I'll receive. So the first award is going to go to me. Spin in the wheel. Wait, what? I kicked. It means you received Oh, so it's going to go to you. (laughs) All right. My bad. All right. Your first award goes to the game of the week. This was a tough one. There weren't any games. There were some good ones, but nothing. I was like, wow. So I actually went with 
the Vikings and Chiefs. Pretty good game. Vikings hung with the champs till the end. They could be in game of the week a lot this year. The constant one-score games. I was really impressed with Justin Jefferson got shut down. Did he get hurt during that game yeah, and I just missed it? Oh, okay. Injury. That's right. That's right. But I got to say, this this Chiefs defense not get, getting enough credit. Yeah, Chiefs defense has been really good. I, I'm with you. There didn't really seem to be a big game of the week. I went Niners-Cowboys anyways, just because it was really fun to watch the Niners go absolutely nuts. But the the only detractor in this Vikings-Chiefs game was just injuries. Kelsey went mm-hmm. out for a while. He came back later on. Uh, Justin Jefferson went out. That obviously always hurts. But what was really fun is that the game ended with an attempted Hail Mary there was just a Kirk Cousins sack. And that's always really fun for me as a Commander's fan to watch Kirk Cousins fall on his face at end-of-game situations. We also saw more Cam Akers than we've seen so far. He had 21 rushing snaps, which put him in second place on the team. I can see him keep creeping up there, and I think that could be really fun for this team. You know, KJ Osborne ended up being the featured wide receiver. You never really want that. But outside of that, generally a, a pretty fun game. Yeah, the cousin sack's funny because I feel like my I constantly say how Cousins is that guy where you look at his box score and you're like, oh, I had a good game, but then he just makes those like one or two th- moments in the game where you're like, the fuck, dude, why did you do that? Yeah, he at the end of the game they bring out I fucking hate when they do this, but they bring out Travis Kelsey to defend the hail mary. Yeah, notably Travis Kelsey, who earlier in the game non-contact injury wasn't real, had to leave the game. Then had to, then they brought him back later. And they're putting him in. Why even put him in? Like, if you go to overtime, you still have Patrick Mahomes on your team. You'll be fine. Because there was put Patrick no, Kelsey out there on defense. Because there was no injury. It was all the just the narrative. Oh, Travis Kelsey, this guy coming back after hurting himself. Taylor Swift somewhere. She's loving it. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. I don't think he faked an injury. I, but I, why- I, I didn't know Collinsworth was calling the... <laughs> he just the cut in. Chiefs-Vikings game. Move over, Tony. You're not doing a good job. Uh, I also just last shout out to that because I looked it up while we were talking. That Chiefs defense has not surrendered more than 20 points a game through five games this season. So you know, who, you know who they get this week too? The Broncos. The Broncos in prime time, baby. That's Thursday night. Al Michaels retiring at half. <laughs> Poor guy. All right, Mike, spinning the wheel for the next award. All right, Mike, my first award this week is going to the Brandon Staley Memorial Worst Coaching Decision of the Week. This one, it was hard to narrow it down to one decision. So allow me to tell you what Mike McCarthy's game plan was by going down at least two possessions. So at the point, the score is 21 to 7 in favor of the 49ers over the Cowboys. McCarthy punts on fourth and two from the Dallas 42, then kneels after a sack on second down with 21 seconds left in the half and two timeouts. Once again, still down two scores. And then from fourth and four from San Francisco 35, kicks a field goal to make the score 21 to 10. Still a two possession game. The next three drives following that field goal, three play interception by Tayshawn Gibbs, two plays interception by Fred Warner, and three plays interception by Oren Burks. Now, with the score 42-0, to Mike McCarthy punts on 4th and 14. What are you afraid of at that point? And then they end the game, by the way, with a QB kneel. The Cowboys end the game with a QB kneel. I always say that when coaches make just really dumb 
fourth down decisions like this and ignore basic math that the football gods strike them with some karma and the game just goes downhill from there. Like the very next possession, they something bad happens to them, as we saw. You know, just out of curiosity, Mike, did you have a worse coaching decision that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, not as good. But I did go with Sean Payton's comments, given bulletin board material to Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets when he said it was one of the worst coaching decisions he ever seen. Also, just kind of like uncouth comments, like talk about one of your contemporaries who's also a head coach, then to come in and just shit on him like that. Like, it's kind of like Peyton, like I get you're, you're, you're an amazing coach. That's awesome. Way better coach than Nathaniel Hackett. But why are you punching down like that and just being a dick for no reason? So. Yeah, it'd be like if we decide to start making fun of Barstool. I mean, why are we even punching down at that point? Yeah. All right, Mike, the last name award before we get to our free space. Let me hear your Rubberman Bounce Back Game of the Week award. There's a couple I thought about going with, but I knew we were going to talk about them in the headlines, like Burrow and Chase or Desmond Ritter, obviously. I knew we'd cover them. So I looked into some more to make my decision. I'm going to go with future defensive rookie of the year, Jalen Carter. He played well against Washington, but just could not get home for that sack. This game gets home, leads the, the team in uh, pass rush grade, gets home for two sacks. Bounce back week for future defensive rookie of the year, Jalen Carter. Not quite a bounce back, but also in that game, Cooper Cup. Big uh, comeback from injury game. Yeah. Big Puka Nakua. I don't love Puka Nakua. It was just sacks game. <laughs> well, yeah, because Puka still got some action there. Yeah. 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 But, you know. But Sean he's still... McVay, Sean McVay and Matt Stafford wanted Cooper Cup to know that they don't love Puka Nakua. He doesn't mean anything to them. It was just sex. Yeah. It won't Puka's... happen again. We're sorry, Cooper. Puka's the side piece. Puka's the side piece. Listen. Mm-hmm. Listen, Cooper. You won the Triple Crown. You were there for our Super Bowl. That last drive in that Super Bowl. You're, you're the one for us all along. It was just sex. It was just, you know, we were fighting. Things weren't going well at home. It was a late night at work, and there was Puka Nakua. But now that you're back, it was just sex. That's all. I don't love him. They were on a break for three weeks or four weeks. They were on a break. (laughs) All right, Mike. Now comes our uh, weekly free space where we can rattle off some extra awards we've come up with that don't fit into the typical structure. So my first weekly free space award goes to the best play ever wow which of course is awarded to the qb cheek unstoppable i saw four teams run it this week this is quickly becoming the best short yard play in nfl history the eagles in fact this week in one possession ran it on third and two, and then again on fourth and one, and they converted. The the Bills, I wouldn't call it a cheek squeak because I believe it was only, I think it was three yards instead of one, but they did a, had Allen take the ball up the middle and just literally the entire like offensive line and the running backs basically carried Allen across the yeah. end zone. <laughs> it was a massive humanity. So. So the best player ever goes to the Tush Bush. Mike, you got a free space award for me? Yeah, my first one is the, uh, this is huge, Jim. Play of the game. It goes to the aforementioned rookie, Joey Porter Jr. 
the Ravens are driving. They're in the red zone with a chance to go up two scores and basically put that game away. JPJ comes down with the big interception. We know what happens next. Pickett goes down the field, hits Pickens. Game's done. Well, not done, but you know. it is done. Yeah, it's, it's done. done. Yeah, big big game for for our priors in that one. Mm-hmm. That was the Zay Flowers had a good game. Joey Porter Jr. had a good game. Suddenly, we're looking like the smartest draft experts around. Gotta love when <laughs> the one game a season when we're completely right. Called it. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you what. If we're going to break through, we got to keep putting out there how right we were on the 49ers-Cowboys game. Oh, definitely. You with your same game parlay, me with George Kittle over two touchdowns. For the best bets of the week, come to TalentAlone.com. That's right. right I was... I was Go wrong ahead. with yeah, my I was wrong with my previous uh, prediction of two defensive scores, one for each team. Listen, no one's bringing up receipts. They're just listening That's to right. us right now. No one's going to go right. back and check. So as far as they know, your prediction was that same game parlay that you screenshot and sent to me. That's right. I, I changed it last minute. My second and final free space award of the week, Mike. The best interception by a defensive lineman of the week award goes to the Aiden Hutchinson one-handed interception. Just excellent work. Bryce Young drops back, tries to sidearm it. Aiden Hutchinson just puts one arm up in the air, picks that shit off. Which, by the way, outside great game this week was Detroit, Carolina. If nothing else, for just how awesome Detroit looked. I saw at one point on the main rundown, you had jotted this down. Yeah, I, took, I took it out. It wasn't, it wasn't good enough for yeah. to stay on the main rundown. So when you first had it down there, I was like, what lineman got an interception this week? So I'm like looking through the games and I see the Aiden Hutchinson one. And I know you are a detractor of Bryce Young. And I was like, I'm not even putting a player down for this one. I know where this asshole's going with this. <laughs> I, I put some money this week on Aiden Hutchinson to win defensive player of the year. Not a bad bet at this point. The leads the league in pressures. What were the odds? Uh, plus... 1800 at that number that's good value brother good yeah value. he's he's like fifth or sixth on the list but leads the league in pressures that team's gonna win 11 12 games gonna mm-hmm. have a pretty good defense i like a lot of players on their defense but you know pass rushers win that award man yeah. pass rush do you have another free space award for me there mike i do and this is the you just bullied a grown man award and for the first time ever on the Town Alone podcast, we got someone getting two awards in one week. It goes to Aiden Hutchinson. Hey! <laughs> there was a play in the second half where he goes at this poor tackle and just, it was like part like shoulder shrug, part kind of like forearm lift, just bullies this man, shoves him off of him, then goes in to the next blocker that's next to Bryce Young, does a spin move that shakes this poor guy to the point where he holds him. It was called for defensive holding, and Hutchinson still got to Bryce Young. (laughs) He bullied two grown men on his way to a a non-grown man. Hutchinson had a few of those this week where he would hit that spin move and just eviscerate someone's soul. Yeah. Puts him in the washing machine, brother. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then I have one more small free space. Yeah, I was about to ask if you had any more. Let's hear it. Last one is the, uh, the Your Tears Fuel Me award and it goes to all patriots fans in the patriots organization enjoy the dark days you deserve it until they get caleb williams this year i'll cry yeah then i will be crying <laughs> i will have the tears then all right mike any final notes for the 
pod Monday pod this week? Nope. No final notes. Just plug. Uh, got a lot of great pods coming up. I'll let you plug your articles. I won't take that from you, but I will say that this week you will be getting the very first edition of On Saturday with Mike Regan, looking back at the previous week in college football, pointing out some things, and looking at the next week ahead. Yep. You got the talent alone. Team Talent Alone. I can't. I keep wanting to mm-hmm. to say Talent Alone, my guys. Still, Team Talent Alone coming out. The rebrand of the My Guys article that'll be out probably tomorrow. As I still need to wait for the All Twenty Two. Although, well, anyways, I'm not gonna not gonna get in the weeds on our release schedule. We also got our season preview for the NHL coming out, where we predict the NFL season or NHL season using quotes from Letterkenny and Shorzy. We've got our Basketball Futures and Over-Unders podcast, which if you've been listening to this feed, you've already heard our NFL and NHL, similar format. And then our Friday pod, as always, coming up. And then I'll be in Buffalo over the weekend, so hopefully I won't have to do any work on Sunday. Yeah, you deserve a vacation. Take a little time off. For the not- like 27 hours I'm in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to promise a pro wrestling pod this week because I fail to come through very often on that. So maybe you'll get one. I hope to get one out if I don't get off my back. <laughs> that's not to you. That's to our, our rabid fans who won't leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it comes out just now, then I probably edited it. All right, Mike. Only one thing left to do. Shout out Big Cock Fox. Shout out Big Cock Fox.